Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Media Buddhi. Today we are focusing on words starting with the letter I. I'm Divya Chandra. You know, Divya, I thought there would not be that many words starting with I, but I was pleasantly surprised. There is I for identity, I for intersectionality, I for IT cell, and I for information pollution. That's not all, Venkatesh. As you know, we have an interview today with Sophie Chang, the data scientist who became famous as the Facebook whistleblower. And through her work, we now know that you know elections and all the political stuff on the internet is completely manipulated by political parties in India and around the world. And that social media uh, platforms have done very little to fix this problem. Yeah, that interview was tremendous. The clarity and comparisons she brings to the topic of IT cells, definitely worth listening to. And uh, Archis, good on you, man, for asking her. Anytime, anytime. Also, um, I'll just mention something that there's a bit of construction work going on behind me. So don't be surprised if you hear a bit of hammering or drilling. So let's start with the concept of information pollution. There are related words too, you know, such as information war, infodemic, information disorder, and more. And of course, you also have terms like disinformation, misinformation, fake news, fabricated content, misleading content. I mean, the list is pretty much endless. But the thing is, they all pretty much refer to the same thing, which is that we live in a world in which, you know, we have information coming at us from all angles, on all devices, and at all times. Yeah, it's relentless. Uh, by the way, I have a story to tell about this. I hope it's not a boring one, though. <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay, I'm now me being made to feel like one of those uncles who has boring stories, who thinks it's interesting, but to everyone else, it's boring. But <laughs> let me try. <laughs> the year is 1945. The place is New York City. It's the summer. And for 17 days in that summer, there's a newspaper strike. So some 13 million customers of newspapers are left without any information. So at this point, this chap, uh, Bernard Burleson. Um, you mean this gentleman, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gentleman, Purush, Samanit Vyakti, all of that you can call him. Bernard Burleson at Columbia University at the Bureau of Applied Social Research decides to conduct a study about what newspapers mean to people. So within seven days of the strike, he mobilizes his team to start reaching out to newspaper readers. And by and large, the, the, you know, the responses are predictable. There's no TV, of course. Obviously, there's no internet. So people are angry that they don't have anything to read. It's just the newspapers they have, and I guess books. But Berylson also asks one question to every respondent, which is, and I quote, are there any reasons why you were relieved and not having a newspaper, unquote. And the responses are interesting. One person says, and I quote, papers and their news can upset my attitude for the whole day, one gruesome tale after another. Another person says, and I quote, it was rather a relief not to have my nerves upset by stories of murders, rape, divorce, and the war, unquote. So like this, one by one, people open up about how overwhelming the newspaper is. Imagine what would happen today if those people were transported to our life, you know, through a time machine with a phone buzzing every 30 seconds with some notification or the other. Hmm. I quite connect with these people in some way, you know, it's a, that's an interesting story, Venkatesh. Where did you dig, up, dig that up from? 
from this book it's called bad news why we fall for fake news and it's by this writer called rob botherton if i'm not mistaken he wrote a book about conspiracy theories which i half read uh, so i kind of looked at this book gravitated towards it there's more about it that i'll tell you in a bit by the way by the term information we refer to anything you get via media social media and messaging apps it could be the news it could be whatsapp messages tweets facebook posts instagram posts or reels uh, stuff you and i see on tv and more it's relentless so much so that we're scrambling to name and identify the problem there are multiple multiple ways of looking at this problem um you know as we said depending on the type of framing we use for example if we use a health framing device then just like water pollution and air pollution you know how they are a health hazard information pollution is also a health hazard it affects our mental health you know messages tend to create a fight or a or flight response propaganda and political messaging tend to tap into our anger fears and anxieties relentlessly we're in an era where you know our grievances are weaponized by bad actors and indifferent actors hmm you know another way to frame this as a health hazard would be to use the term infodemic now we may be out of the pandemic but we've been stuck in this infodemic for a very very long time and you know this predates covid and it's going to continue after covid and really happened in the past 15 years you know with the advent of web 2.0 or as we call the the social web yeah and then this there's a lot we can talk and say about information pollution or information overload or the infodemic or whatever term you use but um what we'll do is we'll keep coming back to this like we have in previous episodes we'll move to the next word now but let's just give the last word to our friend rob brotherton uh and you know the guy who wrote that book in the book he also digs up research that says that the maximum amount of information that a person can deal with is 7 uh, there is 7 bits of information or 7 packets of information uh, but he interestingly also says that humans are getting better and better at dealing with information overload but the point i think is just that when you look at information in the sense that it's not just news it's entertainment it's whatsapp forwards it's whatsapp messages from our friends and family it's voice notes the instagram feed email tv netflix it's gotten crazy and the only way to deal with all of this is to be very conscious about how much you are allowing into your life and how you wall yourself off from this constant stream of information okay time now for our next word it cell and our interview with sophie jang now Before we get into it, let's spend a moment uh, to understand what we mean by IT cell. It basically refers to the BJP's Department of Propaganda, you know, uh, wherein a uh, number of people, hundreds and thousands of them, are in charge of putting a spin on everything the government does and everything the party does. And it also refers to the IT cells of other political parties. Uh, okay, let with that we shall get to the interview. And I'll also add a little disclaimer. Sophie was connecting with us. Uh, from belgium and her net was a little bit dodgy so there are a few times when we lose her for a few seconds but don't worry the coherence in her points are intact enjoy so for our discussion on it cells we have a guest here today on the show her name is sophie jang and many of you may have already heard about her 
Sophie was a data scientist for Facebook and she eventually quit after she blew the whistle on the lack of action from Facebook in rooting out political IT cells. So Sophie, uh, welcome to the show. Um, could you describe a little about your job at Facebook? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. And just a slight correction. I was I did not voluntarily quit. I was fired, actually. And so okay, anyways, thanks, thanks for yeah, letting us. Yeah, know. no worries. And so and so at at Facebook, everything that everything that I was doing that you that you might have read about myself in the news about finding IT cells about my work in India. All of this was actually work that I was doing part in my spare time that was not it was close enough to my job which was which, which was finding that sophisticated apolitical um, inauthentic activity worldwide it, it, which w- w- that was close enough to it cells that they got away with it but i but the, in prince in principle the work of finding it cells was supposed to be left for much more important well trained people I'm going to use an analogy now to try and dis- dis- describe how my work related to IT cells. Suppose that tomorrow in Delhi, the police hire a new policewoman, and this policewoman is told, "You should stop shop. You should stop robbery in Delhi." And by this, the snatching things that make terrorists stop coming to Delhi. That sort of thing. And this new policewoman does all of this. But also, in her spare time, she works with India's R&AW, or IB, to catch a group of PRC hackers that are hacking into hospitals in Delhi to, to encrypt their data and demand a ransom to steal their money. This is technically stealing things in Delhi. It is technically what she was ordered to do. But it's very much above her pay grade and very much not what she's expected to do. That, and that is basically where my how my how my work on IT cells fit in. It was close, was said, but it was considered far above my pay grade. It was supposed to be left for more important people. And so, and so, and and it was work I was doing in my spare time that I was eventually ordered to stop. And so, in India, I found five IT five networks of fake accounts that would be called troll farms in in the West and are commonly referred to as IT cells in India. And these were across the political spectrum. Two of them were supporting the Congress, two supporting the BJP, one supporting the app. So it was quite equal opportunity across political spectrum. And should I continue, or did you want to ask more questions? No, sure, go ahead. Yeah, and and so and so, anyways. But when they raised these to Facebook, it took a bit of doing. But India is an important country to Facebook. Facebook quickly agreed that this is bad. This is a violation of our policies. We should take it down. And so and so, they agreed to take down all five, but they only took down four because at the last moment. We realized that the fifth network of fake, fake accounts was run out of the personal account of a city member of the Lok Sabha. This was the Honorable MP Renat Sonkar, who represents Kaushambi for the BJP. Quite ironically, the chairperson of Essex in the in the, the parliamentary committee, I understand. And as soon as this discovery was made, I could I could not get anyone at Facebook to to comment to, to respond to me on what should be done, whether they should be acted upon or not. 
After I became a whistleblower, I offered to testify to and, and provide my documentation to the to the Indian Lokspa over the matter. And to their credit, the, the, the Parliamentary Committee on IT voted unanimously to invite me, which must be very must have been very difficult, given that my documentation implicated both BJP and Congress members. But 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 after I was after I was invited. Sorry, after it was voted to invite me, because I'm a foreigner, this was supposed to go to the Honorable Speaker, Speaker Birla, to evaluate and approve or deny my petition. And similarly to what I experienced at Facebook, the Honorable Speaker has refused to provide an official response. I believe he has publicly commented that it is inaccurately for me to, for me to say that he is blocking my testimony because he has the absolute right to approve or deny it, which I do not understand how that disagrees with my statement, but I am providing it for fairness. Okay, so, uh, you know, this makes me wonder uh, what are IT cells and, you know, how are they really different from what we know as bots and who are even capable of detecting IT cells? So this is a complicated question because because words are are losing and changing meaning over time. Bots literally means automated accounts, the computer scripts that do not have a real person actively running and monitoring them. But increasingly, at least in the West, I do not know whether that's the case in India, the word bots is also used to denote people sitting behind a desk who are conducting activity that they are paid to do all day, which is very different from literal bots. Like in like in the like the way that in, at least in the United States, the word literally literally does not mean literally anymore. And and, and so, and so it's so in a strict definition sense, bots refer to automated accounts with no real human constantly monitoring and running them. IT, IT cells and troll farms, etc., these generally refer to actual people who are paid or volunteer to conduct activity all day who may work from home, but oftentimes are given a, a, a set of devices by which they run their activity. And, and and so and so computer scripts are very different from people in number of ways. You do not need to pay up a computer script. Computer scripts do not need to get tired and need rest. Oftentimes with IT cells, what we see is that the activity it's 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 scheduled in basically the workday from from nine perhaps nine in the morning to five in the evening. They don't work on weekends, on Diwali, on on other holidays. In, in, in one case in Azerbaijan, an IT government-run IT cell stopped when non, non-essential governmental employees were temporarily furloughed due to the COVID epidemic. Because I mean, real people are, are they don't want to work all the time, quite understandably. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, bots, I mean, they have no they have no time of day constraints. They're able to work without sleep without sleep as much as they want with, with without pay. On the, it takes time for it takes time for an ordinary person to write to to write to write things to to write thousands of words. On the a bot can generate that very quickly. Rates will not be very good or effective. Mm. I mean, if Boom wanted, they could replace 
mostly reporters with a computer script to write articles for it. But the articles this this computer script would write would be complete garbage that no one would read, which is why reporters still have jobs. So and, basically, uh, the fact that there are humans behind these uh, accounts make them seem more organic and normal and make them seem real, their comments and their views as real, basically. Yes. Yes. Humans. Y yes. It helps. It, it, it helps. It, it, the use of humans it, it makes them harder to detect often. It allows them to do things that bots are, are bad at doing currently, such as understanding the local political context to understand, to write large amounts of com comments about it if, that seem authentic from, for, an Indi for an Indian perspective which bots do not seem currently capable of doing, but may change in the future with the advent of GPT and, uh, and other and other sorts of AI improvements. Fund, fun, fun, like fundament, fundamentally, the difference is in sophistication. It also has a giant difference in effort and investment. Bots are very cheap to run, but if you want to pay people to do things, it costs money. It costs. It, it, you need to buy devices. It costs. It 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 takes time and organization. Okay, so, you know, this is something that we have discussed before on our podcast, you know, a term called astroturfing, which is basically describing the, the actions of IT cell, uh, basically creating fake profiles and mimicking the voice of real people and driving out agenda driven views. Uh, but it seems nowadays, especially in India, IT cells are quite common. And I would say rather accepted, like people know already that IT cells exist. Uh, and are used by companies, by film producers, by famous personalities even. Uh, so why should we worry? Why should we be worried about this activity, you know, when it's so widely utilized and people don't really seem to care in general? Just because activity is commonplace doesn't mean that it should be accepted. I understand that in India, corruption is a large issue. That 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 there are many that there are many news reports about candidates running for office that that have criminal convictions, and this and this is commonplace in India. But just because it is commonplace does not mean that it is accepted by the people. Fund, fund, fundamentally, the use of IT cells is a problem because it drowns out the, the dialogue of ordinary people. The me. It does not matter what what it does not matter precisely what the IT cell is doing itself. In the in the same way that when that when fake votes are cast for a candidate, it does not matter who the candidate is. It, the the badness is intrinsic to the fact that it is drawing out the votes of ordinary people, just like IT cells draw drawing out the voices of the common person. And, and it also leads to an to increasingly to distrust of what you can what you see on social media is what people wonder am I seeing real is it when I talk to person people are they actual people are they paid by the government and this is normally the hallmark of of uh, not of not of democracies like India but of dictatorships like the People's Republic of China where where people are alleged to be paid 50 cents by the state for for every post in china and that is sadly something that we this is, is something in, in which india can increasingly relate to to today fundamentally the voices of the common person cannot be heard if they're drawn out by a tide of fictitious voices pretending to be people it's most dangerous it's most dangerous in the in the sense that 
it damages democracy. Imagine if during the emergency, critics of Indira Gandhi were drowned out by a wave of fictitious voices saying Indira Gandhi is great, everyone opposed to her are traitors, we should support the government. Historically, the unpopular leaders and dictators could couldn't it, it were put at an impasse when faced by the voices of the of the masses because they did not have the ability to respond in kind when mahatma gandhi began his quit india protests the british raj could not bring out a, a great wave of people to say we, we support the raj because those people did not exist but today it would be it would not be difficult uh, for, for for such a dic- for, for such a dic- for such a, a, an empire to, to drown out the voices of the people with with fictitious masses instead that was a very uh, evocative way of putting it sophie thanks uh, so much uh, for that picture that you drew for us i i just want to back up a little bit and i want to ask one or two very rather basic questions. Of so course. the first of them, the first of them would be uh, your work uh, showed the world that there is widespread political manipulation happening on Facebook and that the executives did not want to tackle that problem. Would you say that is still a problem today in India? And, you know, I know that you focus on India. So that's going to be my second question. But it, a very basic question is it does it continue to be a problem today absolutely it, it can, the the problem of it sales continues to be a problem today to, to my knowledge facebook has not made any changes since my departure other than cracking down on internal communications between employees that are not directly related to work which is a change that i think anyone who lived through the emergency might recognize but uh, I mentioned that I that I that I caught that I caught Renat Sankar red-handed in Indi- in India. It was it was three years ago at this point. I mean, to my knowledge, Facebook has never acted uh, has never acted on that. They 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 have not done any they have not done anything since my departure that I'm aware of. And and in and in general, what I found is a drop in the ocean. Fundamentally, I think it's important to remember: Facebook is a company. The goal is to make money. We don't expect we don't expect Dow Chemical, formerly Union Carbide, to repay the poor people of Bhopal out of the goodness of their hearts. We don't expect Philip Morris, the American tobacco company. To repay Ayushman Bharat, the healthcare system, every time an Indian person gets sick with lung cancer, but in both of those cases, the Indian government steps in. I think they 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 find uh, Union Carbide a large sum of money. I think it was five hundred million U.S. dollars. The, the Indian government requires cigarette packages to say this will give you cancer. I believe it taxes cigarettes. And so, in theory, it would be it might be time for the Indian government to step in to regulate social media. The problem is that with the IT, the problem is that what's going on with IT sales is not just an arms race. It's also that the social media companies are taking sides and specifically favoring those in places of power, as which currently is a BJP. But I, but if a new government were elected, my guess is that social media would immediately favor that whoever, whichever party that new government consisted of. 
And so this creates a significant problem because now the only people with the ability to regulate social media are the people that social media is favoring. And, and, it, and it will be very unusual for a for political party to regulate social media and say, you, you cannot give us an, an advantage that we take someone with great ethics and, and honor, even if they were elected on such a platform. Yes. And, and, and this, because what's going on with with IT cells in India is essentially an arms race across the political spectrum. Everyone feels they have to have an IT cell of their own, because if they don't, the opponent is going to do it anyways. They're going to lose and suffer, and they will gain no benefits from not from not running one. People will assume that they run one anyways just because it is so commonplace in India. But this arms race is no more beneficial for the people of India than the U.S.-Soviet nuclear arms race was for the people of the world. And so normally, you you might think the political parties could come together to form an arms control treaty for IT cells, say we will collectively stop it because this takes us a lot of resources. It does not gain India any benefits. But the problem is, instead of an arms race that does not benefit anyone, the arms race, in fact, benefits whoever is in, in, in the ruling party at the time because they are given an advantage because the, the, the arbiters, social media companies, gave leeway to those in positions of power. And so it's very difficult to, to ask someone to give up an advantage that they have. And if you're winning an arms race, you have no reason to stop it, and your opponents will have even more reason to try to catch up. Indeed, indeed. Um, you, you know... It's 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 uh, it's going to be what about a year year and a half before the next big general election in India, um, and so I want to do a little bit of looking forward, and I also want to ask you um, specifically regarding India. Uh, what how how do you focus and keep abreast of what's going on uh, on regarding the IT cell on social platforms in India and. Is there any way you would like to kind of do a little bit of crystal ball gazing towards uh, there are going to be a bunch of state elections uh, in India next year? Uh, there's a big one coming, which would be the state of Karnataka, which is completely polarized. And we all know in India, of course, that polarization politically seems to be on the Hindu-Muslim axis. So it's along religious lines. There's a lot of anti-Muslim disinformation. Uh, but there's a lot of hidden polarization as well. Uh, there's gender, there's caste. Uh, we don't even know what other kinds of polarization there is in India. So keeping all of this in mind, keeping in mind what, I mean, and and, and thinking about what you do specifically in your research, uh, uh, is there anything that you're looking at particularly going forward? I want to be clear that I am not Indian. I have set foot in India exactly one time. <laughs> yes. Yes, I think that is clear, but it, it, I'm glad and you... And I think that, that for, you should pr- probably, frankly, ask this question of ac- actual Indians who will have more tr- transparency into the subject than I do. I mean, I do pay attention to India from an outsider's layperson's perspective. I mean, I try to pay attention to the political situation, be kept abreast of developments such as such as the ongoing Gujarat elections, such as, for instance, the 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 wires infamous now infamous articles a few months ago, and and and. and, and I and I enjoy and I enjoy Indian culture. You may have seen me post 
it, but I mean, I, I am an, with that said, I am an outsider and a lay person. Like uh, part of the issue is that frankly, my specialty is IT sales. And from the outside, it is impossible to get any real transparency into the ongoings of IT sales, which is a fundamental issue at play for other for other areas, you raised polarization, hate speech, etc. Th- those those can be monitored from the outside, but the point of an IT cell is to pretend to be an actual pretend to be actual humans, and the better you are at pretending to be a normal person, the better you will be, the better you will be at it, and the harder it will be to find you. Imagine if the average person goes out and thinks, "I'm going to look for Pakistani ISI spies in Pakistan." In India, I mean, they won't find any. And this is not to say that ISI spies in, in India do not exist. It is to say that they will find they will find people who are behaving unusually because they are sleep deprived and working too much. They will find people dressed up as stereotypical spies because they're celebrating the American holiday of Halloween. They will find they they might suspect Indian Muslims who are completely loyal to India, but. If they find any Pakistani spies, it would be because they are completely incompetent. And this is why the Indian government has earned AW, IB, to, to do this sort of work for them. They have access to internal data, such as, such as for instance, they can, they can, they can depose, depose for, for wiretapping for financial records, that sort of thing, because they need that sort of data to find spies. And this is why the Indian government relies on them in in the first place and cannot rely on the anatomy to find spies for them. And that is a difficulty faced from the outside. Beyond knowing that IT cells exist, I really don't I really don't have much transparency into it because I without internal data such as at social media companies, there's there's no way to find a well-run IT cell. You might find some things, but it would be precisely the incompetent, useless, stupid things that you find. And I hope that, and I and I hope this is making sense. With regard to your question about increasing polarization, I think this is. I mean, this is sadly a trend that I have seen in India, whether it's across religious lines, as ethnic lines, regional lines, or political uh, political lines. Like for, for for instance, I myself have been called both an urban laxolite and Gaudi media and a, and a sangi, which I which I frankly think is a bit impre- impressive. I just need to collect all the other Indian political epithets, and I'll have quite a collection. <laughs> but, I mean, but but I I know I know that in India people. people People, the 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 phrase "takta takta" again is an increasing increased currency. But honestly, I think the real "takta takta" again are people who use words like that to increase India's differences, split apart people from one another, and such 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 that the left calls the right sangis and Gaudi media, and the right calls the left the brandus and urban Naxalites, and no one listens to one another. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean. Those India is increasingly at odds with their fellow with their fellow Indians, and this is a trend that we're seeing worldwide. There has been a lot of speculation over what is causing this trend. A lot of people, a lot of people are have suspected social have suspected social media. Which I will leave to the researchers to comment on because this is frankly not my area of expertise. That's uh, it's quite interesting what you said, and it also kind of paints a very tricky picture. What you said earlier, 
uh, that you know uh, in order to stop this uh, these kind of it cell activities you need the people in power to step in but at the same time they are the ones who are involved in most of the it cell activities uh, so it seems like we are in kind of a situation where we can't really find uh, the solution so you know for uh, for members of civil society and uh, lawyers academics journalists and other other data scientists in india uh, how could they possibly fight the, this use of it cells to conduct these kinds of astroturfing and psyops against the people so this is a very difficult question because frankly india is in a difficult state i'm sorry not to offer you an optimistic answer because there are a number of potential solutions at play none of which are very feasible or good firstly the use of the, firstly the use of it of it cells could be solved in india by electing a very ethical and honorable government and prime minister that 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 will actually follow through follow through on the promise and remove an advantage from the government in power which it's frankly unlikely another way would be international regulation this is also tricky because frankly most countries are focused on matters domestically for completely understandable reasons the european union is much more focused on how social media is used in europe than in india and the america focused on how social media is used in the united states not in, in india and even if such regulation they could be convinced to make such regulation it would frankly have it would frank it would frankly have pretty poor optics i think in the sense of having european america the united states other western countries dictate what happens in india the government could justifiably say that this is new colonialism that 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 foreign countries are dictating what happens in india we should we should defend our right to have it cells if we want because this is the right of indians and it's a, a third option and i think the one that is frankly the most likely is convincing the indian people and sufficient public support and public pressure on the issue it's it's very i mean i mean this this is difficult because it's hard to convince a lot of people to do anything at the same time but once the indian people are united on an issue i think there is very little that can stop them fundamentally what's going on with it cells i mean like like you said it's like you said it's publicly accepted it is unfortunately part of the culture right now but that does not but it does not have to stay part of the culture forever like corruption it's and also unfortunately part of the culture in india but there are many pe- people dedicated people working on anti-corruption efforts i mean uh, I mean, India had plenty of, histo- of historical traditions that, that it is moving away from. For instance, caste discrimination was part of the culture in India, and I'm sure it still exists today, but to a much smaller extent, because many smart people decided that this was not good. And people across the Indian political spectrum agree on that. And although it still exists, it is, I, I think from the outside at least, it is still slowly diminishing. And 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 so ultimately... That is that is the avenue that I see as most promising. Speaking to others in India, not just those who, not just those in in own circles, but also those across the political spectrum. Because the problem of IT cells is not a Congress or BJP issue; it's an Indian issue. 
and in order to fix a problem, you need to understand that it exists in the first place. And I think we, and I think that that is frankly the the, the venue that is most promising, convincing Indians that this is the problem and should be fixed. Okay, that was definitely not a very optimistic answer, but I think that was a very realistic answer, and realistic is something that we can definitely work with. So for for all those who are listening in on this interview, you know, uh, if you can just, you know, do whatever you are capable of, you know, in letting others know about this issue and that it is not something we can ignore. Uh, It is not something that can just keep lying and keep happening because it will affect us. It's basically a form of psyops against the Indian people. And it's better to know what's happening and take actions. Thank you very much, Sophie, for uh, for what you said. It's, It's really enlightening and very, very informative. Thank you very much for having me. I I hope this was useful and informative. That was a tremendous interview. She's really great with her analogies. Yes, she is. Yeah, that was fantastic. Well, we don't have much time left, so we'll just briefly mention two of the terms that are remaining, identity and intersectionality. Okay, I'll start with identity. Basically, the word refers to how we describe ourselves or how we are described. And uh, we all have different identities. Some of us may decide that one of our identities is a primary identity and the other identities are secondary. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the problem comes when we interpret everything that happens to us in the world uh, through the lens of one primary identity. Um, we'll come to that a little later, but just speaking about identity as at large, my identity, I suppose, is male, uh, heterosexual, Indian, journalist, Hindu, Bangalorean, left-hander, and so on. But at different times in my life, other identities have taken over. For example, my primary identity now is as a father. But when I started losing hair in my early 20s, my identity was suddenly as a bald person. You know, this is not out of choice, you see, because... This is how other people saw me. And so this identity was thrust upon me. Wait, you're a left-hander? Yes. Oh, I'm also left-hander. I didn't know. South Paws Unite. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, the point you just made was very interesting and a very important point about identity. We may think of ourselves as X and Y, but the world will often see us through what is immediately apparent, even though we may not think of ourselves that way. You know, for example, a woman uh, may have other identities as a mother or as a successful entrepreneur or as an artist or writer, but the world will insist on reminding her that, you know, she's a woman first in the way they treat her, the way they look at her when she's outside, the way they expect her to behave, the roles they may expect her to fulfill, and so on. You know, one other thing, when we think of ourselves through primarily one identity, then it can also cause problems to you know, both us and society. Uh, for example, if a man thinks of himself as primarily a man, and not through other identities, then he can get into the habit of looking at everything he experiences in life, you know, from his conversations to opportunities, through a lens of whether it is good for his manhood or bad for his manhood. And it can lead him and such people into behaving in certain ways, you know, in rigid ways, which can cause problems. And yeah, that's true. And there's one other thing, I mean, 
we can go on and on. We can have 10 episodes on identity alone. But uh, in recent years, there have been clashes about identity politics. That is politics that revolve around certain identities. Uh, so this is where there's a fundamental contradiction that, that you will hear. Uh, people like academics like Mark Lilla and Francis Fukuyama, they've written books about identity politics, arguing that people should keep their identity small, especially with regards uh, in the United States to the Democratic Party's politics. Whereas there has been a lot of criticism about that from marginalized groups saying that, you know, essentially Fukuyama and Lilla are privileged men who don't suffer from their identity or who don't have their identities thrust upon them. So it's easy for them to say, hey, you know what, keep your identity small. Uh, so this whole conversation about identity and identity politics, there's a lot of nuance. And I think because we don't have much time and we're really just touching upon these topics, some of it is being lost. Uh, but I think, you know, we'll come back to it another time. All I would encourage all of us to think about is let's be aware of our multiple identities. Let's also recognize that people's People sometimes don't have a choice when one identity is thrust upon them. And so they have to react in, in such a way or behave in, in that way, even though they may not want that identity thrust upon them. And so some of these points are inherently contradictory, but we'll come to it on another time. Let's now turn to our final word, intersectionality. And now I'm quoting from our friend Blair Imami here. She writes, and I quote, intersectionality, a term coined in 1989, by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw is a framework that requires us to consider multiple forms of oppression at one time. In a racist patriarchy, without any intersectional framework, only white women would be considered under a sex and gender analysis, and only black men would be considered under a racial analysis. Keep in mind that intersectionality is not just us naming or naming our identities, but also our context and the ways that systems of oppression either harm or benefit us accordingly. And we must include class analysis in addition to the many other aspects that make up our identities. Professor of Professor of Gender, Sexuality and Feminist Studies, Dr. Jennifer C. Nash, highlights how intersectionality is not itself a tactic for fighting oppression, but is instead a lens through which anti-oppression tactics can be devised. When approaching our understanding of labor and work from an intersectional perspective, the gender and racial wage gap offers an apt example. Yeah, interesting, interesting. You know, Divya... I, 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 I'm, I'm still not convinced I, I, I understand the term very well. In, it was the first time I heard the term intersectionality. I remember it was 2016 and uh, my cousin used it in, in a line from conversation. Uh, here's a shout out to you, Laksu, if you're listening. The whole point is that um, she, she used the word intersectionality. She also recently introduced me to a term neurodivergent, which we'll come to when we come to the letter N. But from what, what I could understand uh, from that conversation was that people have, again, multiple identities. Uh, and sometimes people have two or three identities that are all in a minority uh, and, and they're marginalized and they kind of intersect with each other. So, for example, uh, a person could be a woman, uh, could be a person from a, a caste like the Dalit caste. It, a person could be queer. So uh, in in three different ways, they come from a margin, they, 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 they become part of marginalized communities. 
So how do you design policies? How do you design communication from the perspective of that kind of intersectionality of identity? That, that creates a lot of opportunities and, of course, mostly problems uh, in the world that we live in. So that's my limited understanding of the term intersectionality. It's a word that I will continue to explore and understand. And maybe at another point, uh, we'll come back and we'll do an interview with someone else who's an expert on intersectionality on this. Okay, that was really interesting. You know, every, uh, for the past few episodes, we've been having these, you know, wonderful uh, texts from Blair Imani. And I have a feeling that we're eventually going to have her on this podcast at some point, at least I'm hoping so. <laughs> so, you know, she can, you know, really, uh, you can get it from straight from the source. Okay, so there are tons of other words that we have decided to keep for another episode, another I episode, such as intertextuality, intellectual honesty, intellectualism, and uh, to be specific, you know, anti-intellectualism as well. Also words like institutions and Islamophobia, but we were really, really packed today with the interview with Sophie. So, uh, you know, we, we decided to keep it for another episode. All for a good cause. Thanks for yeah. listening. <laughs>